Bibles to Daniel uh, 5, uh, 23, and we'll have it on the screen as well. But it's more spiritual if you read it out of your Bible. <laughs> Those are just the rules. I didn't make them. That's just what they are. Verse 23. Um, Belshazzar, bad king. You have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, the Lord sent the hand. This is God's word. So chapter five, if you've been uh, tracking with us, is a turning point in the book. We're dealing with a new king now, Belshazzar, instead of Nebuchadnezzar. And by the end of the chapter, uh, Media Persia instead of Babylon. So a new king, new kingdom. And yet another change at this point is that Daniel and his friends um, are no longer young men, but are probably uh, in their mid-80s now. And there's a difference. Yeah, a little... A little difference. Okay, so there's lots of changes here in chapter 5. Um, but there's even more constants. Israel's still in exile, still under a foreign king. Gentile kings are still prideful, and God is sovereign over all of them. And these constants flow throughout the entire book of Daniel, and then the whole Bible and, and human history. This is just how things are right now. So we'll pick up um, verse five or chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar held a great feast, and thousands of his nobles drank wine in their presence. And under the influence of wine, by which the biblical author means as drunk as a skunk, okay, under the influence of wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So these are God's holy things set apart uh, for the worship of God in Jerusalem's temple, which is now um, destroyed. So grab those things so that the kings and his nobles and his wives and concubines, we'll just get them all in here, could drink from them. Verse 4, they drank the wine and they praised their God. So here's to Marduk, Apu, Nebo, whoever. Um, they praised their gods who are, again, their gods are made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So... Um, for you who don't have great reading comprehension, if you didn't pick up while we were reading that, that's all bad. Okay, <laughs> everything we just read is not good. It's it, it, it's uh, it's bad. This is not a let's have a good time party. Okay, now if you guys know me, I'm the most fun person. Um, I just like to have a good time. If you want to have a good time, call me and I will make it more fun. This is just my personality and who I am. Um, so normally a, a great feast with wine would indicate a celebration of something good that's happened or is happening, right? The end of the age, the, the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus culminates in a big feast with well-aged wine, fatty meats, nations coming up to Zion like good Good um, things. This is not that. This is bad. Okay, this is not a good party. This is a life didn't turn out the way I thought it would, and I don't want to deal with reality. So I'm going to gather the crew, gather some food, gather some women, gather a whole bunch of booze, and that will take away the sting of what's coming my way party. There's a difference. Let's have a good time, and life is terrible, and we're going to... Um, get drunk. And so the reason that I think it's this kind of party as opposed to just a good time 
party is because uh, right outside the walls of Babylon at this point is the media Persian army. And it's not a sneak attack um, that's coming. Everyone knows at this point in history that Babylon, the great, a kingdom that was once feared and respected by all, Babylon's about to be um, overthrown. And so instead of dealing with it like a good king would, okay, even if dealing with it means, you know, stealing your will to die honorably, right? Like, I can't stop them, but I'm going to die in the right way and prepare my people to die in the right way. Instead of doing that, Belshazzar throws in the towel and says, hey, we can't win. Let's drown our sorrows in a bottle. Okay, like this is that kind of party. So that's bad. And then it gets worse because what happens when you get drunk? Don't answer. I'll tell you. (laughs) The, The worst parts of you come out, right? Those parts you thought didn't exist, they're there, and they've been loosened, okay? So this is just a good time to point out again that Christians, members of CLC, we do not get drunk, okay? And and we don't host gatherings where drunkenness is encouraged. This is not what we do, because what happens? Bad things happen. So this happens to Belshazzar, right? Bad party, we're not going to deal with reality and the army. We're getting drunk as a skunk, so one tequila, two tequila, three tequila, floor, for Belshazzar. And then he has this great idea, right? Like, you know what would really send this party over the top is if we drank with the cups from Yahweh's temple. Let's go get the stuff that Nebuchadnezzar brought back from Jerusalem and let's drink with those. Let's take these things that are set apart as holy to the Lord by his like divine decree. That's what these things are. And let's use them for our drunken um, thing here. So, The party's bad, and then to take the things that God has set apart for worship of his name, to take those things and use them for the party, uh, that's even worse. And and Belshazzar is not the last Gentile king that will do this. Okay, As we get into Daniel, we're in chapter 5 and chapter 8. We we read uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. He he follows the same playbook. So if you have a Catholic Bible, 1st and 2nd Maccabees tell how Antiochus goes into Israel's second temple, takes their sacred cups and vessels and turns the place uh, into a brothel. It, it's a pattern. And I think the final arrogant Gentile king um, will do the same at the end of the age. And so if that's not bad enough, right? They're getting drunk. They're using Yahweh's fine china to do it. And now they're throwing in idol worship. Verse 4, they drank the wine and they praised their gods made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Which again highlights not only the idiocy of drunkenness, but the folly of idol worship. It's just dumb because think about their situation That very night, they're about to be overrun. Their gods have not protected them, right? Media, Cyrus, Darius, they're they're on the way. Marduk, Apu, they're nowhere to be found. And yet they're still praising them, still drinking and offering um, worship to them. And so this is the last straw for Yahweh concerning Babylon. Okay, he's like, "That's, that's, that's a line too far that this arrogant Gentile king has crossed. And so now the Lord is going to deal with them. Verse 5. At that moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall. Just quickly, um, show of hands, who has seen a cartoon version of this? Anyone? Anyone? So Cartoon Network, actually, back in the day, uh, the the Cartoon Network, they have all of these Bible stories in cartoon. So if you guys want to watch it, really detailed Daniel writing on the wall story, check out Cartoon Network. Anyway. As the king watched the hand, his face turned pale, and his thoughts 
so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. If you needed another reason not to get drunk. You'll soil yourself. And then, just like in chapter 2 and chapter 4, next in the story, Babylon's wise men, who've been blessed because they are eating Marduk's food, uh, they cannot interpret the writing on the wall. They, they don't know um, what it means, but guess who can, okay? Daniel, the Hebrew guy who hasn't defiled himself um, with the food offered up, up to idols, okay? So we've got writing on the wall. They don't know what it means. We'll call in Daniel. So the queen comes in, and verse 10, she says, May the king live forever. Which is ironic because he's going to be dead in like five hours. Okay, may the king live forever. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale or your drawers be soiled. There is a man, verse 11, in your kingdom and he has a spirit of the holy gods in him. And then I think she starts to humiliate Belshazzar by constantly bringing up uh, his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so I, I have time. I can tell this story. Um, you know what I mean? Like you insult someone by talking about how awesome the guy in front of them was. So my, uh, Derek, I moved Derek out to California um, in August. He came back in November to do the Living Hope um, banquet and speak at the banquet. So at the banquet, me and Derek are, pre- are, are talking. I'd been preaching for like a month and a half, and, and me and Sarah are standing there talking to Derek, having a good time, because you always have a good time talking to Derek, okay? And uh, a person comes up and interrupts our conversation and says, Derek, we miss your preaching so much. <laughs> And uh, I agreed with her, you know, but the boldness to just say it. Um, Anyway, so in the days of your predecessor, this mom comes in and she's insulting Belshazzar. says, in the days of your predecessor, he was found to have insight. He had intelligence. He had uh, wisdom like the gods. Remember your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? He appointed Daniel chief of the magicians and the mediums and the Chaldeans and the diviners. And he said, why did Nebuchadnezzar promote uh, Daniel, Belshazzar? Maybe because Nebuchadnezzar had a brain, unlike you. You don't even know who Daniel is. Your own predecessor, the king, verse 12, he did this because Daniel was found to have an extraordinary spirit. Knowledge, intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles like on the wall, and solve problems, right? So this mom comes in and says, uh, your predecessor made good decisions, and he took advantage uh, of the gifted Hebrew, right? He, he, he did this, he understood this, um, but not you. Therefore, you drunken, irresponsible shell of a king, therefore, get Daniel in here, and he'll give the interpretation, All right, so Belshazzar, he's in a swirl. This is all very bad for him. So he listens to the queen. He gets Daniel, and he promises Daniel great reward um, if he can actually interpret the writing on the wall. So verse 17, Daniel answered the king and said, you can keep your gifts and your rewards for someone else. I don't want them. However, I will read the inscription for the king, and I will make known the interpretation to him. So I think Daniel responds like this for two reasons. One, because who cares, right? If you're going to give me reward and make me third in the kingdom and give me a crown crown and a purple robe and whatever, the kingdom's going to be destroyed in like a couple hours. So I don't want your stuff. Two, he responds this way because Daniel doesn't do the prophecy for payment thing. It's really frowned upon in scripture, like all all the way through. And it's frowned upon... Now, so he says, I'm, I'm going to interpret it, but not because of what you can give me. So he says, verse 18, he's going to interpret the, the handwriting on the wall. He says, your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty. 
He gave glory, greatness, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, because of the greatness that God gave him. All peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. So at the height of uh, Babylon's power, like the whole region was in awe of Babylon, right? The, the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon, like people were terrified of this nation. He killed anyone he wanted. He kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and he humbled anyone he wanted. But verse 20, last week's story, when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, chapter four, he was disposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. Right. So the theme in Daniel, theme throughout the scripture is God gave Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty, gave it as a gift and God takes it away. Right. True for him, true for true for you. Verse 21. So then God made him like the wolf man. Did anyone talk to Kurt this week? No. Okay. You would make his life if you did. Verse 21. God made Nebuchadnezzar like the wolf man until he acknowledged that the most high God, he's ruler over human kingdoms and he sets them uh, anyone he wants over them. Okay. So just important as you. Live your life as you watch the news this week, whatever. God is most high over human kingdoms. Okay, He sets anyone he wants over them. And he's leading history towards his appointed end. Okay, So you can pray into that and, and live um, into that. So he tells the Nebuchadnezzar story. And then he turns to the present king and talks to him. Verse 22. But you, his successor, Belshazzar... You have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, uh, Belshazzar. You, you knew all of this, and you did not humble your heart. Verse 23, instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens, right? You took the stuff meant for worship in his temple, and you used it to praise your own gods, right? This is what's happening here. You have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand. And who controls the whole course of your life. Verse 24. Therefore, Belshazzar, because of your arrogance, because of your pride, right? Because of you exalting yourself against the Lord, therefore he sent the hand. And so when you see um, the hand in scripture, the arm, the finger of God, that's a description. You're about to see God's power over his enemies, okay? Like God literally flexing, right? Showing his, his power. So uh, if you guys... Who has still not watched Prince of Egypt yet? I'm tired of asking. <laughs> Do your homework, okay? In in Exodus, when the Egyptian magicians are are defeated by yeah, right, like They'll do something and then Yahweh will do something greater. They'll do something. Yahweh will do something greater. Exodus 8, 19. They said, look, his power is greater than ours. And they say, this is the finger of God. That's showing himself strong over us. Isaiah chapter 30, description of the day of the Lord. The Lord will cause men to hear his majestic voice. He will make them see his arm coming down with raging anger and consuming fire with cloudburst, thunderstorm, and hail. Think Sinai. Verse 32, every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing rod will be to the music of tambourines and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. Verse 33, Topath, which later becomes the imagery for hell, Gehenna, the lake of fire. Topath has long been prepared it has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord 
like a stream of burning sulfur sets it ablaze. So you see, arm of the Lord, God's power over his enemies. Okay? The finger of God, Luke 11. If, however, Jesus says, if it's by the very finger of God that I'm driving out demons, then the kingdom of God, the day of the Lord, is certain to come against you. Right? If God's power is being shown here, that's saying judgment's coming for you. And Belshazzar is seeing what on the wall right now? A finger writing things. And so whatever comes next for Belshazzar is bad. If you see the finger of God, the arm of the Lord, these things are bad. And here's what the hand wrote, verse 25. This is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel, and parson. Verse 26, many means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and he's brought it to an end. Just a few hours. Okay, they're going to they're going to dig up the moat. They're going to redirect the water away from the city and they're going to crawl under the walls and overtake Babylon in just a few hours from this. So God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Verse 27, tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and you've been found deficient. Has anyone seen a knight's tale? You've been weighed, you've been measured, you've been found wanting. You've been weighed on the balance and you've found, uh, been found deficient. So the point here is that God has a standard that he holds human beings to. That he holds men to. And when we don't meet it, meaning when we don't walk in humility and repentance and, uh, before God, when we're weighed, and then we are judged. And so this is a prominent theme throughout um, Israel's scripture. So Hannah's song, uh, Mary's song that, that we're going to sing in a second. Oh, the mercy our God is shown. That we're singing that, right? That's what we're singing. I think it's Hannah's song, Mary's song, the Magnificat, whatever. Uh, 1 Samuel 2, verse 3, the Lord's going to weigh and, and judge. He says, do not, or she says, do not boast so proudly or let your arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. Like he's chesting the hearts of men, weighing them. Proverbs 24, won't God who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life? No, won't he repay a person According to his work. Okay. God sees the motives of our hearts. Those are not hidden from him. And God sees the deeds that flow out of these things. And God weighs them. And God tests them. And then God will mete out a judgment on them. It's terrifying if you're a human being. It's terrifying. God will repay. Matthew 16, 27. Jesus says that the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will reward each according to what he has done. Paul picks up the same thing in Romans 2. God will repay each one according to his works. According to the motives of his heart. And the things that flow out of it. And the words that even flow out of it. Back to um, Luke 11. He says eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. Those who seek to live for the age to come. Who, who aim the motives of their heart to live for the age to come. And their deeds for the age to come. And the words of their mouth for the age to come. Paul says, Jesus says, the Proverbs say, will actually inherit it. Okay? God has not left us blind to inherit eternal life been kind and he's shown us the way verse eight but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness this is what nebuchadnezzar is is dealing with right now as the prophet daniel is, is speaking to him and calling him on his motives on his deeds on his actions so the question for us today october 
2023 is what are the, the motivations of your heart, right? We can hide behind uh, good actions. We can even hide behind um, good words. We're very good at that. The Lord is going to judge and weigh the motives of our heart. So what are the motives of your heart? Are, are they wicked? Okay. And what deeds then does that uh, wicked motivation and wicked heart produce? Are those deeds unrighteous? If so, if this is, is who we are, if so, it's bad news when the Son of Man comes. And instead of eternal life, we receive wrath and anger. And so it's into, and I, you can ask those questions to yourself, okay? It's into that bad news, because if you're honest about your motivations, and you're honest about your deeds, and you're honest about your words, it's not a pretty picture. Instead of eternal life, if that's the case, we will receive wrath and anger. And so it's into the bad news that we want to preach and give good news, okay? Acts 10, the Lord tells Apostles, go preach, go make disciples. This is what they say, Acts 10. Peter stands up and says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. God has appointed Jesus to come in the glory of his Father with angels and reward each according to what he has done. Verse 43, then he says, All the prophets... Okay, including Daniel, right? Like all the way up, they testify about him that ever that through his name, everyone who believes in him, everyone who puts their trust in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his giving of the Spirit and his promise of soon return, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of their sins, including the sinful motivation and sinful uh, deeds and sinful words by trust in the cross, you can actually be saved when he comes to judge. It's very good news. Unless you've got it all together, you don't need this. But if you don't, this is very good news. You can actually inherit eternal life when he comes. So for those whose hearts and deeds have been wicked, Peter is saying, we are saying that before the Son of Man comes, God is offering amnesty. Okay? God, God is offering pardon and forgiveness through the cross. The only way. Through the cross. And so if you're presently on a path that leads to wrath and anger at the day of the Lord, wrath and anger when the Son of Man comes in a lake of fire, after that, we're telling you, Peter's telling you, you can put your trust in the cross, you can repent and turn, and you can actually inherit eternal life. You. You can be raised from the dead. The Lord will come, your body will be raised, and all you'll know is life and joy and peace forever and ever and ever and ever. You. Okay? Not for someone who you think is awesome. You. That's who the gospel's for. So if you miss anything I said in Daniel today, I don't care. That's fine. Don't, don't miss this. Don't leave here today not trusting in Jesus for eternal life. Don't leave here today not repenting of your sins. So if you have questions about that, you're sitting next to a member of our church, they can tell you what it means to put your trust in Jesus, what it means to repent of your sins, and what it means to follow him until he comes. Okay? This is, I mean, this is what we're here for. So he tells him, many, your days are numbered, tekel, you've been found deficient. In verse 
28 paras, which means that your kingdom has been divided and it's been given to the Medes and the Persians. Just like God gave Jerusalem into Nebuchadnezzar's hands and he gave Nebuchadnezzar the kingdoms of the earth and he gave them to Belshazzar. Now he's taking them and giving them to the Medes and the Persians, which is the second kingdom um, from Daniel chapter 2 and the second beast from chapter 7 when, when we get there. Okay? There. Next. So chapter 5 finishes here. We have an arrogant and prideful king. We have a hopeless, immoral, and idolatrous party. We have soiled underwear. We have the finger of God. And we have God's prophet. And then Isaiah's prophecy um, comes, comes true. This is really cool. Isaiah said this would happen. Verse Isaiah 47. Go down and sit in the dust, Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, Chaldea. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your disgrace will be exposed. So now hear this, you lover of luxury who sits securely, who says to herself, I am, there is no one else. I will never be a widow or know the loss of children. Isaiah prophesies to Babylon, these two things will happen to you suddenly in one day. The loss of children and widowhood, your kingdom taken away from you. Verse 10, you were secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. You said, I am, there is no one else. But Isaiah said, devastation will happen to you suddenly and expectedly, unexpectedly, and no one can save you. Back to Daniel 5, verse 30, that very night, exactly what Isaiah prophesied came to pass. Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. So that's the story. If you got that, you, you got Daniel 5. What do we do with it? Okay? Was point isn't so that you say you've seen the cartoon. It's, it's, it's obedience from it. What do we take from this first um, thing to take away today is to guard against pride. Belshazzar lifted himself up against the Lord of heaven. Like he, he just, this is what he was about, which is common for demonically empowered Gentile kings. The, the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14 that, that's prophesied against. He said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the Most High. And he was judged. The, the little horn from uh, Daniel 8 and 11, which we'll get to, uh, Daniel eleven thirty six says, He will exalt himself, and he will consider himself greater than any god. This is what wicked kings do. I'm God. You're not. I'm sovereign. You're not. I'm in charge. You're not. And this is what wicked kings do. We do the same thing. Okay? We, we walk with this, and again, it, it doesn't flesh itself out in such a big way like when the kings of the earth do it. But we carry the same thing in our hearts. We can look at our life, okay, especially our, our successes and things that are going well, and become prideful. And totally disregard for Samuel too, the God who brings death and who gives life. The God who, who gives prosperity, or who, who brings prosperity and who gives wealth, and he, he humbles he exalts. We can walk through our entire life thinking, I'm pretty awesome. I've got this stuff down. Okay? Please don't do that. <laughs> Guard against pride. Every good that come, every good thing comes from his hand, and the response to God giving good and, and, and blessing from his hand, the response to that is not pride or boasting. The response is thanksgiving, right? So the Lord is being kind and blessing and giving and, and bringing success. And all these whatever little things, the response to that is not, I am awesome. The response to that is, thank you. Thank you. So during our, our prayer time today, do a little heart audit and, and ask, God, is there pride in here? Is there boasting in here? Am I on the path to uh, Belshazzar? 
Search us, know us, see if there be any wicked way in us. That's for a second. Um, we want to learn learn from the past. So what was Belshazzar's great flaw here is he didn't learn from the past. The queen mother, she comes in and said, you didn't learn from the past. Daniel comes in and says, you didn't learn from the past. And then the Lord speaks through Daniel and says, you didn't learn from the past, right? Belshazzar, you, you saw how every time Nebuchadnezzar, the previous king, set himself up uh, uh, or set up his gods of, of his nations against the God of Israel, he lost every single time, right? Daniel's food, God's food versus uh, the false God's food. Who won? God's food. Daniel 2, the statue, the, the whole bit. You saw how every time Nebuchadnezzar became proud, God humbled him and you didn't learn Belshazzar. God expects Belshazzar to learn from God's ways in the past, and God expects the same from us. Okay, um, Paul makes this point explicitly. First Corinthians ten, he recounts uh, Israel's wilderness wandering and, and rebellion and, and against Yahweh. And then Paul um, writes this. He says, "Now these things took place as examples for us." Right. And then he, he lists all the different things and they got swallowed up by the earth and snakes ate them and, and all, all the stuff. These things took place as examples for us. Why? So that we will not desire evil things as they did. Learn from, from what happened there. Um, verse 11. As for these events that happened in the wilderness, it was as foreshadows of the things to come that they happened to our ancestors. They were written down, moreover, as warnings to us on whom is about to come the very culmination of the ages. So then, if someone thinks he is firm in his loyalty and faith, good, good. He must be careful lest he go astray. We're meant to learn from the past, obviously, in the scriptures, but also in your own life. You know what I mean? Like, there are things that dad's dad did that he doesn't want to do. There's things that my dad's done that I don't want to do. There's things I'm going to do that my kid won't want to do. We're meant to learn from these things and grow and mature and be careful to stay on the path. Okay? So let Israel be a lesson for us. Let Belshazzar be a lesson for us. Let our own lives and stories be a lesson for us and and treat experience and the past as a gift from God to train us in wisdom. And then uh, last thing here, Brody, if you'll come help us. The last thing here is, uh, I think, helpful. Last thing to learn from this passage is to remain faithful in Babylon. So at the end of Daniel 5, uh, Babylon is ended and the Media Persia Empire starts. And Daniel outlasted the kingdom that brought him into exile. The kingdom came and went. Daniel's still there. Okay? The kingdom, uh, yeah, Daniel remains. So living under a, a wicked regime, Daniel, over the course of his life, and, and we'll see um, in a couple weeks when Reese does the lions, Daniel held his ground and his integrity. He, did, he didn't bow while he was in Babylon, and now where's Babylon? It's gone. we got another Gentile kingdom, but... That one's gone, okay? And the reason that Daniel can, could stay strong and keep his integrity is because Daniel knew the future, okay? Daniel knew from Israel's scripture and from the vision of the statue that these kingdoms would all vanish, Psalm 37, like smoke. And I would look for them and they would not be there, but God's kingdom would endure forever. So the way to endure and, and to uh, remain faithful while under wicked regime is to have a hope for the future, 
and know what the scripture says about the future. Right? Eschatology drives our discipleship. If I know what's coming, I can live faithfully now, regardless of all the other stuff that comes in the way. Okay? So we're going to uh, learn from the past. We're going to remain faithful um, in Babylon. And we're going to guard uh, against pride. And these things only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for us and ask for that. Ask for the Spirit to come uh, in power. And then invite our elders up for prayer about um, anything. So Lord, we uh, we want to come with humility this morning. Um, we want to come with, with humble hearts. We want to come with repentance hearts. And we ask us, um, God, Psalm 139... Search us, see if there be any wicked way um, in us, try us, know our hearts, know our thoughts, God. And if there's pride there, if there's boasting there, um, that's not receiving uh, your gifts with thanksgiving, but receiving them with with boasting and arrogance, would you, would you root it out this morning? So you just begin to ask the Lord, Lord, search me, know me, see if there's any wicked way. out if it's there. We don't want it. We want humility. We want repentant hearts. So please, by the Spirit, give it to us. God, I ask second that we would um, be wise. God, we let Israel's scriptures train us to not go about in the wilderness and rebellion, to not test the Lord. Help us be wise and learn from the past. Help the past train us for wisdom now. Not walk as the wise, not as fools do. Like a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. God, we don't want to be a fool. We want to walk in wisdom. So I ask you for um, every member. I ask you for um, parents especially who who are asking for wisdom. God, that you would give it. Help us walk with the wise. And Lord, we ask you um, last uh, that we would have a vision um, for the future. That our hope would be the blessed hope, the appearing uh, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who will award to us the crown of righteousness on that day and also to all who long for his appearing. Give us a vision of the future to allow us to remain faithful um, in, in Babylon, in, in our current context, to stay on the path that leads to life. Because we know that all of these kingdoms will come to an end, but your kingdom will endure forever. So teach us to be wise now. 
the name of Jesus. I'm going to invite our elders up now. Um, do you want to pray with them in response to the word or um, anything else? We want to pray pray with you. If you're not praying with an elder, uh, pray with your, your crew in your row. Uh, if the Lord's leading you to go pray for someone else, go do that. Ask them if it's okay and, uh, and go do that. But now we're just having a prayer meeting, so let's pray.